Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. My name is Rob Basham. I'm one of the pastors here at Sam Alliance. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream, hanging out somewhere else during spring break. And to those joining us, uh, I know that there's a crew that's watching us in Eastern Turkey this morning. Thank you for joining us. Glad you're here. Hope you're enjoying an incredible, incredible weekend of good weather. I'm loving this weather. Uh, it's, it's been a good weekend. Yesterday, my family went on a hike, and when we got back, we're hanging out in the backyard. And just once again, I noticed that backyard fence of mine. I don't like my backyard fence. Uh, every year, as soon as the weather gets good, I go out there and I see the damage that's been done by the wind and the rain. And, and every year I put a couple patches on that fence and I say, I got one more year with this fence. I got one more year. And yesterday I realized I don't have any more years. <laughs> We're done. We're done. And, and, and that's a rough thing. And so uh, I'm just taking a look at that and I'm figuring out, okay, how am I going to calculate the cost and figure out what it's going to take to get a new, a new fence up? Got to identify that long weekend. I got to pray for good weather because we live in Oregon and hope we have a good, a good weekend of weather to get that fence in. I got to pray for some gracious neighbors who might uh, uh, help me out with, with building that fence and see what happens there. And I also got to count the material costs. How much are the posts going to cost, the, the whole digger? I got to count the cost of how many screws I need and a new gate and all of that. And Luke 14 tells us, but don't begin until you count the costs. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Back to the fence, shocker. Initial estimates, fences are not cheap. Like, not at all. It's a lot more money than I expected that it's gonna cost to fix that fence. But church, the same is true as we follow Christ. We need to count the cost. And shocker. The cost is often higher than we might expect. Christ said to the crowds and to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Our own way versus the way of the cross. We are in our series, in the second week of our series, The Way of the Cross. And last week, Steve talked to us about how oftentimes we have these tendencies to distance ourselves from Christ. A lot of us are ready to throw in the towel and we've distanced ourselves. There's multiple reasons we might do that. We might feel that, that Jesus is disappointing us and we have these expectations of what it will be like to follow him. And when those expectations aren't met, we begin to distance ourselves. Or maybe it's just not popular to follow and we care too much what the crowd thinks about us. And so we begin to distance ourselves from him. Because the truth is the way of the cross is a costly way. And today we're going to build on that concept and we're going to reflect on what our obedience might cost us. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to be talking about the lonely way of the cross, the lonely way of the cross. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 26, Matthew 26. If you have a Bible that you're using there in front of you, in the rack in front of you, that's on page 825. But we're going to look this morning at Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Jesus has just spent a meal with his disciples. 
That meal began to, it was a nice celebration of a meal together, but it began to get pretty intense as he began to share with his disciples the journey that he was about to go on. Many of them didn't understand it. He calls Judas out and says, I know you're going to betray me. Go and do it. He tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And so the tensions are kind of high. The confusions are kind of high. The emotions are running high. And church, some of these stories that we read leading up to Easter become really familiar to us. But as we read Jesus in the garden, would you just let it hit you? What amazes me about the stories, especially in Mark, Mark gives about one sentence to the physical pain that Christ endured and focuses the rest on the emotional sufferings that he endures. And here again, we see in the garden what Jesus is faced with. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he bowed down with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. This is the word of the Lord. Church, before we even begin to apply what is happening here in the garden to our own lives, to our own walks of obedience, we need to pause. We need to acknowledge that Christ, the Savior, was alone in the garden. He was alone when he needed sympathy. He was alone when he needed friends to weep with him and stand watch and stand guard. He was alone when he needed someone to simply be there as he tried to bear this burden. But here in the garden, he was alone. Sure, he had his 11, and he even took his closest three, his inner core with him into the garden, thinking they would be there, that they would stand with him. And yet, he's alone. The thing about Christ is he wasn't some lonely soul that chose to opt out of community, that thought he was better than others, and so did things by himself. Sure, he would spend time in solitude, but he was a man who knew rich community. He had people who knew him and cared for him deeply, and he knew and cared for others deeply. He did life with his community. He traveled, he ministered with them, he laughed with them, he cried with them, he healed with them. He received from them and they received from him. And yet here in the garden, that rich community is not found. He's alone. Christ is anguished. He's distressed, he's lonely. His obedience has led him down a lonely road and Peter's denial a few hours later is only gonna to add to that pain. That pain hits its pinnacle of loneliness as Christ speaks these words while he hangs on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
This is ultimate loneliness. The perfect richness and fellowship and unity of the Trinity. The eternalness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Could it be separated, abandoned, broken up for this work to be completed? It would appear that in the least, the conscious presence and display of the Father's love were taken away from the Son for a moment. Loneliness that none of us know. As the great preacher from London, Spurgeon, puts it, from the time when he bowed in agony amid the deep shades of the Mount of Olives to the moment when he entered the thicker darkness of the valley of the death shade, he was left to suffer alone. For Christ, the way of the cross was lonely. And we need to sit in that. As we prepare for Easter, we need to remember what he walked through. And church, as we count the cost of our obedience as followers of Christ, we would do well to wrestle with our similar truth. The way of the cross can be surprisingly lonely. The way of the cross can be surprisingly lonely. And it's natural for us to to just stay away from that dreaded loneliness at all costs. We find ourselves dissoning ourselves from Christ. It's easy to obey as long as it's not going to tarnish that reputation that we have crafted and worked so hard to maintain. It's not that hard to obey if it's not going to disrupt our social status and how we're viewed by our peers and our family. But the lonely way of the cross that I refer to today is a loneliness that obedience calls us to. And you may be asked to enter that. Some of you have entered that. It's a loneliness that is embraced because our citizenship is a citizenship in heaven. Understand that not all loneliness is godliness. Some of you in this room are in a season of loneliness because you've made poor choices. You've broken trust. You've hurt people close to you. And I pray that you can come out of that season, but reconciliation, I pray reconciliation would be available to you. You're probably going to have to go on a road of humility to get there. But the loneliness that I'm talking about this morning is a loneliness that's a byproduct of our obedience to Christ. This morning, I want to go a little bit deeper into understanding what that is. I want to talk about the choices that we have to make when we enter into a season of loneliness. And I want to look at scripture and see why it is worth embracing that cost. So let's start by looking a little bit deeper at the cost. The first thing that I see that we can take from Christ's experience in the garden is this. Following Christ may cost you relationally. We don't like that idea, but it's a truth. Following Christ may cost you relationally. I've read it many times. Most of the world's great souls have experienced loneliness. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, all experienced loneliness as they walked with God. Moses was alone when he was confronted by the burning bush. He was alone on the mountaintop when the face of God passed before him. Many of the prophets of the Old Testament, when you study them, they're all so different. Each and every one of them are so different, yet there's this one common thing that they all experienced. Loneliness. But none of them experienced the loneliness of the Christ that they prophesied would come. You see, when assessing what it means to be a disciple of Christ, loneliness must be taken into consideration. By his grace, here in the U.S., oftentimes we don't face levels of this loneliness that other people do in certain countries. Working in the Middle East, I I saw brothers and sisters that the words of Matthew 10 came true to them, where Christ says, families will be torn apart because of my name. 
I don't know if I would have had the faith that some of my Arab brothers and sisters had. Muslim in name, yet Christian in faith. My friends that gave up the securities and the comforts of the nuclear family to follow the one that they call Isa, Jesus. See, we look at their loneliness. We look at it as persecution. They look at it as worshipful obedience. They've embraced the lonely way of the cross. For the majority of us in this room, our lonely road is a little bit more subtle. With family, it's less of a disowning or a, a clear break. It's more of a process of being distanced. It's lesser levels of contact, less in common. Maybe some, some confrontations here and there. Maybe you feel allowed in, but not accepted. It's years of long series of awkward interactions, guarding our words, holding back so we don't offend people. It's keeping the post-Thanksgiving conversations to the safe topics of weather and football and childhood memories. Even David, the psalmist, lamented, and he said, even my own brothers pretend they don't know me. They treat me like a stranger. Whether disowned or cut off or included but not really accepted, the result is the same. Not being known, not being seen and understood fully is loneliness, and it's painful what matters to most to us, to many of us in this room, is Christ and obedience to his life-transforming message. But that might not mean anything to some of your family and friends. In fact, they might judge you for some of your convictions and beliefs. And therefore, what you have in common begins to dissipate and dwindle as a result. And the loneliness that we're talking about extends beyond family. The friends that you middle schooled with have begun down a different path in high school. Their behavior, their promiscuity, their drinking, you need to avoid it and you know it, but choosing out is a lonely road. You have a desire to get married and the options might be there, but you won't settle. You want a spouse that isn't just okay with your faith. You want someone that's going to share in its depth. And at times, it's a lonely road. Maybe it's your service to people and you've chosen to spend your retirement walking life with others, mentoring, volunteering, and just being with people. And it keeps you from spending your ra the rainy and cold winters with your close friends down in Arizona. Maybe it's as subtle as you not having the finance to join those friends on that ski trip because God has called you to give away a substantial portion of your income. And so you just can't make that commitment to go with them. And you're living at a level that is a lot less than you could be living at. But in your obedience, you walk that road and at times it's lonely. Or maybe you've chosen to forgive and restore a relationship in your community or your family that the others feel differently about. They want revenge. They want punishment. They want that person ostracized. And they don't understand the grace that somehow you're able to extend that person. And therefore, it's a lonely road. A.W. Tozer writes, their God-given instincts cry out for companionship with others of their kind, others who can understand their longings, aspirations, the absorption of the love of Christ. And because their circle of friends, their family, there are so few in that circle who share their inner experience, they are forced to walk alone. Some of you know that feeling. Some of you are experiencing that now. There will be times where others are, are called to make choices that leave you out. Maybe you've been called to make a tough decision regarding workplace ethics. Please understand what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not advocating an avoidance of this world. 
I'm not saying that I just bought a big piece of property in Eastern Oregon, let's go start a commune. That's not the type of thinking I'm talking about. We are called to be salt and light in our earth, here in our city. We're called to be with all people. We're supposed to be there. We want to make people belong. We're not, I'm not advocating that we get this holier-than-thou judgmental attitude. Christ had harsher words for this pharisaical way of thinking than anyone else. But what I'm talking about is walking the lonely way of the cross and being willing to pay that cost. See, it's hard, church, because we're created for relationship to be known and know others. But as we walk with Christ in obedience, we should expect seasons where we struggle to be understood, where we struggle to find people that understand our inner experiences and convictions and decisions, and we may feel alone. Following Christ may cost you relationally. Will you carry that cross? Are you willing to pay that price? I hope you are. And as you do, my encouragement to you is to let your loneliness be formative. When you take that road, I encourage you to let your loneliness be formative. You see, many people are ready to throw in the towel because they're realizing how high the cost is. And what happens is a lot of times when we enter that season of loneliness, we, we come to this fork in the road. And we can go this, the way of cynicism and bitterness, or we can go the way of form, formative thinking. And we, we develop a new, a new form of intimacy with Christ. We develop new levels of empathy and social action when we enter seasons of loneliness. I remember when a dear brother of mine in Jordan, we, he had come to faith about three years earlier and we would have breakfast every other week and we would study the word of God together. And I remember one day we finished our breakfast and we went, I remember exactly where we were both sitting in my living room and we were, we were getting ready to open the word of God. And he stopped and he said, Rob, I gotta tell you, I don't know if I wanna do this anymore. See, when I signed up to do this, I had some expectations of what this journey would look like and this isn't meeting them. Most Christians in our nation are, are wealthy. They do quite well financially and they have incredible community and they seem to have each other's back. But I'm more poor than I've ever been. I have less community. I have shamed my family. They've sent me away. What do I have? Why am I doing this? And it broke my heart because his emotions were real. His struggle was real. And I realized in discipling him, I had not properly taught him how to count the cost of what it was going to mean to follow Christ, especially in that culture. So we turned to Christ and we looked and we saw what Christ faced in the garden. We saw the road that he took and all of a sudden my friend fell in love with Christ again. He recommitted and he saw the road that this person named Jesus that he had put his trust in had gone through. And he found a like-minded person to share his struggles with, and he recommitted. Yet, though that story ends well, more numerous are the stories of people that have come to my office who I have counseled, who have chosen the road of cynicism and bitterness. You see, loneliness unveils an unrepentant heart that loves comfort and acceptance more than Christ. Loneliness unveils an unrepentant heart that loves comfort and acceptance more than Christ. I believe that in our culture at times, I'm guilty of this. I elevate community and acceptance. I make them almost like idols. This leads many to choose the wide gate, the road that walks away because the cost is just too heavy to carry. These are those that started building and couldn't afford to finish it. Their backyard fences are only half built. Their estimate failed to include the surprising cost of loneliness. Church at the crossroads instead take the path of formation. Formation of intimacy. 
You see, loneliness, loneliness strips away the external peace, security, and comfort of those around us, driving us to find these in Christ. For me, seasons of loneliness have been this reset button on identity. Because oftentimes my identity gets put here and I put some of my identity here and here and then loneliness comes and it realigns me. It drives me to deeper levels of intimacy with Christ because he gets it in the fullest sense. He himself persevered through it. When you are misunderstood, when you are lonely, when those around you just don't get it, return and meditate on Christ in the garden. It is helpful to know that Jesus was there before us, tasting just our kind of loneliness. It is in this intimacy we realize we're not really alone. And although the disciples, even the three closest, abandoned him in the end, Christ fulfilled to each one of them, as he does to us, the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. With the lo- when the loneliness comes, can I encourage you, don't numb it. Don't run to shallow community. That's the easy way out. Embrace intimacy with Christ. Go to him, cry out to him. A second formative, uh, formation, formative blessing of loneliness is this. The formation of empathy and social action. The formation of empathy and social action. Sometimes I, I like reading weird articles sometimes. And in 2015, there was this cognitive neuroscience study. Don't ask me why. It shows this central paradox around loneliness. And while loneliness can lead towards unwanted, undesirable places, isolation and depression and other type things, it can also make us better observers of the social world. We can become more perceptive, more in charge of our own reality as as loneliness sets in. It can make life actually more compelling. This study concluded that the lonely people are more attentive to other people's distress, ultimately implying that lonely people have a greater capacity for empathy. As one evaluator of the study concluded, ironically, it might be as a result of being lonely that one can better understand others and their social world. Let your loneliness be formative. The great Alliance theologian A.W. Tozer says this, the lonely saint is not the withdrawn person who hardens himself against human suffering and spends their days contemplating the heavens. Just the opposite is true. Their loneliness makes them sympathetic to the approach of the brokenhearted and the fallen and the sin-bruised. Because they are detached from the world, they are all the more able to help it. Church, as you walk in loneliness, ask God to give you his heart for the world around you. Look to fill your space with prayer and service to your city, making it a city at peace with God. The cost particularly with regards to loneliness, needs to be counted. And when faced with it, carry the cross and allow it to be formative. And in doing so, see that as a worshipful struggle. See it as a worshipful struggle and anticipate the joy set before you. That's the third thing I see from the garden. We need to anticipate the joy set before you. You see, in Hebrews 12, this is what it says. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility, including the garden that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You see, in the garden, Christ is there, and when he's down before the Lord and and crying out to the Father to take this cup from him, 
I'm pretty sure one of the things that the father shows him is he gives him a glimpse of the joy that awaits him. He gives him a glimpse of the throne room where he will soon be. He gives him a glimpse of every tribe, tongue, and nation that will be around that throne when Christ completes his work. And we're instructed to do the same, to hold on to that future hope, to look at the joy that awaits us. There's a power in that hope. It's what got him through and it's what will get us through. You see, in the here and now, joy is being formed in us as we serve others as we find deeper levels of intimacy with Christ. But we don't carry the cross daily for the immediate joy. We carry the cross for the future hope. It's like you've been given like this great insider trading tip. Sell it all now, trust me, this stock is going to soar, you will be set for life. No capital gains talks tax on this investment. It's like the parable we see when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. He covered it up and then he went and sold everything so that he would have enough money to buy the field. We need to get that treasure. The so-called current losses, the loneliness that many in this room are experiencing, the pain of being misunderstood by those close to you. The pain of being judged because of a conviction that you have as you walk out in obedience. Those are real, church. Those are real. But those will pale in comparison to the gains of having Jesus the greatest treasure. And church, we need to press in into these loneliness seasons, these seasons of loneliness. We need to be reminded of the treasure, be reminded of the faith that we have because it is valuable. Our citizenship is in heaven. The lonely way of the cross is easier to endure when we remember, as Paul said to the church in Philippi, count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So how do we apply this to our lives this week? Three things. First one, consider this question. Where has my obedience lacked? because of my unwillingness to pay the cost of loneliness? Where has my obedience lacked because I'm unwilling to go through a lonely season? Where have I wimped out? Where have I cared too much about what others would think? Where have I waited to take action until I calculated how my result of obedience would be seen by friends and family? Where have I compromised to fit in and find acceptance? Ask the Spirit to convict you and bring conviction this week to areas where you have not followed in obedience because of fear of the loneliness. A second thing, accept the rhythm of both community and loneliness. Accept the rhythm of both. Please understand, this morning, I am not encouraging you to go get lonely. <laughs> right? If you think I'm saying, go find some loneliness, it's awesome. No, that's not what I am saying this morning. We were created to be in relationship. We were created to be in community. Seek community. Choose community that's rich where you're known and know others. Loneliness reminds us that we need to engage with those around us. Some in this room, you're stuck in a season of loneliness that Christ hasn't asked you to walk through. So get out of it. Be proactive. Find community. Go check out a community group here at Sam Alliance Church. But get out of it. But what I am saying is that when loneliness finds you, don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard by it. Don't freak out. Accept the rhythm of it. No, it won't last forever. Yes, relationally, it may cost you. But that's out of your control. See it as an act of worship and let it be formative 
and accept that rhythm. And the third thing, would you consider Sabbath and solitude so that you become more resilient and receptive to seasons of loneliness? Church, this one, please, please listen. If I had understood the power of Sabbath and solitude a decade ago, oh, it would have saved me so much. The power of solitude. Turn off the radio in your car every now and then and just be silent. Go to Mount Angel for a day of solitude and cultivate a listening ear. It'll help you when the seasons of loneliness come. And Sabbath, if you haven't discovered the power of Sabbath, I'm sorry, you're missing out. You see, there's something powerful when we understand the purpose of Sabbath. When we understand that it's not just this rest from the work, but that we get to rest so that we can work. When we work from our rest, it's a whole different posture. It changes. It's a game changer, I promise you. But Sabbath also makes sure that we're not enslaved to the busyness of life and what our culture throws at us. The purpose of Sabbath is to break that slave mentality. So practice solitude and Sabbath. It will make you more resilient and receptive in these seasons of loneliness. Church, we need to count the costs including the lonely way of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are good. We thank you that you are a God that walked all of this. You know what we go through. I can't imagine what you went through in the garden. I can't imagine what you suffered through. But because you did and because of your your great love for us, you endured it. And because of that, we can approach you with a confidence that you get it. So we thank you for your love. And Lord, I pray courage for those who are in a season of loneliness right now. Courage that they will continue to walk that. I pray that it would end soon, but I pray that it would be formative while they walk it. And for those that are, are headed towards more of a, a road of cynicism, Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to take on that cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.